From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, October 7th. There's a canyon in the book cliffs managed by the Natural History Museum. As Justin Higginbottom reports, researchers there are doing a special kind of archaeology, which requires a lot of farming. Shannon Boomgarden has been driving this washboard road for over 20 years. She started as a graduate student in archaeology, cataloging the vast number of ancient native sites in a canyon called Range Creek. The land is among a high-elevation oasis in the desert, populated by Douglas fir and cottonwoods. It was owned by the Wilcox family, who ran cattle and successfully kept people off their property before they invited the University of Utah to the area. We couldn't believe how many incredible archaeological sites were preserved within the gates, and that's when everybody was like, we have to, we have to protect this treasure. It's such a cool resource. So. There's over 500 sites here, pit houses, petroglyphs, granaries on the edge of cliffs so high that researchers hire rock climbers to access them. Most of the sites are from the Fremont civilization, around a thousand years old. Although Boomgarden still helps map sites of interest, much of her work has turned to a field called experimental archaeology. She's the director of the Range Creek Field Station, where she and her students try to find out how the Fremonts lived by doing things they think they did. For example, the Fremont ate a lot of corn, and so that's what Boom Garden tries to grow. And then trying to farm in a similar situation under the same constraints with the same tools that they had, um, and just see what kind of decisions we have to make to, you know, produce an amount of corn that we could live off of if we were trying to farm like the Fremont. Range Creek has become a sort of outdoor laboratory where year after year Boom Garden can record the costs and benefits of each decision she and her students make. Every time something happens to us I think, well, <laughs> now we know that was a problem. Um, especially grasshoppers. Grasshoppers have been a plague on her crops, which is annoying but also good because now she thinks it's something the Fremont also had to deal with. And so nothing, I think, has kind of opened everyone's eyes as to the difficulties and struggles that it would take to be a farmer in an environment like this until you are out there in the heat, you know, trying to get water to your corn with a digging stick instead of a shovel and weeding by hand and, you know, just watching what happens when you get a flood and all your work is wiped out. And those kinds of things, I think, really are teaching us more about behavior uh, just through the, the struggle of trying to do these experiments. Flooding is on her mind now because a monsoon storm almost washed away her crops this weekend. Just another issue the Fremont most certainly experienced. So two weeks ago, it didn't look like this. Um, the creek jumped the banks. It tore out our dam and flooded all the way down. It rerouted the creek down below where we used to drive. Some researchers thought it unlikely that the Fremont would have irrigated their crops. It would have been too costly. One of the reasons Boom Garden got into experimental work is to test this. Uh, it started much smaller. We just wanted to come out here and see what, what are those costs. Everyone says it's too costly. The Fremont never would have done this. And then the very first year, we had nine students and like three or four staff, and we had 72 meters of ditch dug in three half days with water 
going to a plot. We're standing on a plot of land where she and her students are growing corn. They use digging sticks to create irrigation channels from a nearby creek. Unfortunately, the recent flood washed away their dam. But despite misfortunes of nature, they're getting pretty good at farming the Fremont Way. Yeah, we collected more edible yield than we ever have in 2021. And each year it's less work because the capital costs are already paid. And so all you're doing is maintaining it unless you get a flood that fills everything up with silt. Then you're paying a lot more costs to get it running again. Another project has students build miniature replicas of those granaries that dot the landscape. They have to get all of their materials on foot by wandering around here. They have to go to the creek to get water to make their mud, bring it over here. It's a literal capstone project. These are all set with their capstones so that in October, I'll come out, fill them with corn, cap them, mud them, and then we won't open them till spring. The field station where the students live is an old Wilcox hunting lodge. It's a strange sight seeing a modern home with a lawn and sprinklers after miles of wilderness. Corinne Springer spends more time here than anyone else. I'm maintenance and security on this end, I guess, and cook and bottle washer and plumber and roofer and Archaeologist. Arche oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> resident archaeologist. Janitor, resident archaeologist. Yeah, I have a master's in archaeology. She works with wild plants in the area, and she's showing me a bucket of Indian rice grass. So, these little hairy bits are what rice grass seeds look like before you parch them. And so once you collect a bunch of these hairy seeds, you have to get it to the, get rid of those. So you toss them in hot coals, and then you get this. And these are rice grass seeds. And they're delicious. She also collects elderberries and choke cherries, fruits the Fremont certainly took advantage of. She turns the berries into pancake syrup for the students. Boom Garden says she's dealing with another issue the Fremont faced. Yeah, I've worked here over 20 years. And the first time I walked up and saw the creek dry, man, it was sad. It was <laughs> pretty shocking. I'm scary. The stresses of drought likely pushed the Fremont from this region. That could also threaten some of Boom Garden's experiments now. If it keeps up like this, there will be years I can't run the experiment, you know. Where the Fremont wouldn't have been able to farm, I can't farm either. Um, so, you know, it's not as dire for me. I'm not going to be starving, I hope. But her research could also provide recommendations for modern farming. For example, she farms with a corn more adapted to a dry climate. It needs less water than your average store-bought corn. She's collecting data about just how much water. We're here because of the archaeology, but I think that is so important right now to, to understand what things might have worked better here if you weren't doing like a kind of more commercial farming approach. You know, so if you were just trying to make the best of an environment to just feed the people that lived here. That's a different thing than trying to get the most corn to the most stores for the most people to buy. She says one of the best things about this field station is that researchers can perform long-term experiments over potentially decades. And she doesn't think she'll stop making this drive anytime soon.
Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. Let's go now to our new segment airing on weeks that the county commission or city council has been in session. Because sometimes you just want to know what happened at the what happened at the meeting. What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting. What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers. At this week's commission meeting, Grand County commissioners unanimously approved a letter to the BLM supporting the potential closure of some motorized access roads in the Labyrinth Canyon Gemini Bridges area. Commissioners also continued refining a draft ordinance that would permit non-traditional housing for local workers, with the issue of water hookups emerging as a sticking point for moving forward. While the commission is also still working on replacing Grand County's special events permitting system, commissioners did vote to end a moratorium on ATV special events and approved the annual memorial trail ride at the Fallen Peace Officers Trail. And that's what happened at the meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between KZMU News and the Moab Sun News. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Grand County, Utah and Moab City there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. This year's monsoon season was robust. And as Doug McMurdo from the Times Independent explains, it helped drought conditions in the short term. It's been a very good monsoon season, uh, so much so that John Meyer, meteorologist from USU's uh, Climate Center, said that it's basically alleviated the short-term drought effects. Mm. By no means are we even close to being out of uh, a a drought situation, but it's the uh, 42nd wettest monsoon season in the past 125 years. Well, that is a number, 42nd wettest. (laughs) Yeah, which, you know, like he said, it's not a record breaker, but it Uh was still really good. And I think we could all, you know, like over the past weekend, those three days of rain, that was, uh, you know, 1.22 inches, Mm. which is a good rain, you Mm -hmm. know, and it didn't flood. It didn't cause a lot of damage because I think most of the rain fell on Moab, not in the mountains. So that was... That was good, although there were some roads that were had to had to be closed, and uh, Mineral Bottom Road had to be closed. So that was, you know, another weather event. They're predicting though uh, a mild, uh, drier winter, so we okay. might lose whatever benefits we got from this. The ground saturation is pretty substantial. However, when you drill down to uh, about three feet, where you really need. Mm. The moisture, it's its uh, its dry as cotton. But it still is good news. Thank you so much, Doug. Where else do you want to take us in the Times Independent? Well, I had a, a really wide-ranging, in-depth interview with the new assistant chief of the Moab Police Department. Lex Bell uh, actually came out of retirement after a 21-year career in law enforcement up in the Wasatch Front. Was it at the behest of our new chief? Um, to hear Assistant Chief Bell tell the story... Uh-huh. Chief Garcia did everything but lasso him and drag him <laughs> okay. from, from Salt Lake to, to Moab. Okay. Um, but he talked to his family about it. And um, uh, for him, it's all about taking his experience. Uh, he, and he has a wide range of experience. Uh, he and uh, Chief Garcia were supervisory sergeants uh, with this interagency gang unit in mm-hmm. Salt Lake County. And they, they learned they worked really well together and... Um, they said, you know, if either one of them ever became a police chief, they'd bring the other one on as the assistant. 
and um, Chief Garcia was was good to his word, and um, Assistant Chief Bell was like, "Nope, <laughs> <laughs> not something he's interested in." You know, he was he'd been a civilian uh-huh. for a while. Uh-huh. He was a, a successful private uh-huh. eye investigator, but uh, he does bring a whole lot of professionalism to the department. And I, I wrote in my column that it looks like there's finally some leadership mm-hmm. at, at Moab Police Department. So um, read the story. He's very candid, very cordial, and uh, I, I think that we're in pretty good shape over there. You know, I, I am curious. You know what made him say yes finally after after being reluctant chief garcia called him a couple of weeks after he initially said no and uh, basically said if you let me read my strategic plan to you Mm. i will never call you again about this um and so he did and uh the strategic plan is in depth uh Mm. you know the chief has a master's he knows how to how to do planning and i'm paraphrasing here because i don't have the words right in front of me but um assistant chief bell said uh it kind of spoke to his soul about how Mm. he could take this experience that he had and bring it to a place like moab Mm -hmm. that could benefit from Mm. that experience and um it's a calling. Guys and gals who spend their life in law enforcement or the military or Coast Guard or wherever they are, um, you know, it's a calling. Well, more details on Assistant Moab Police Chief Lex Bell in this week's edition of the Times Independent. You've been busy, of course, though. There's another interview in here that you did. Yes, I also spoke with Leah Bear. Um, very cool name. Thought she was going to growl at me when I met her, but she she doesn't growl at all. She's the new general manager at, at Wabi Sabi. Uh-huh. She's been there uh, for five weeks. After some pretty public upheaval at the mm-hmm. at the um, thrift store, so hopefully it's uh, it seems to be like back on solid legs. She was working on her master's in clinical psychology. And uh, while she, that process was playing out, she kind of stepped into a career in the retail industry. She got her master's and she took a job in a behavioral hospital in Panama City, Florida. Mm. And after a couple of years of growing disillusioned with patient care um, and where the priorities were, she kind of uh, recoiled from that and went back into retail. And she applied with the Wabi Sabi board. She got the job and um, she was very happy to say that the Thanksgiving dinner will be provided this year. It'll be delivered again because of persistence of COVID-19. Yeah. They want to avoid a large gathering. But the Canyon Steak and Waffle House is going to do the catering. Okay. Of course, volunteers will do the delivering, and it should be a big event. And um, also, uh, Moab Community Gardens are going to have another garden in the land adjacent to or right next to uh, Wabi Sabi because oh. that's also their land. Okay. Um, so that's really good. That's uh-huh. a good good location for that. And uh, the fashion show, I guess it's been um, not run for 11 years. I have no idea. Not the trash and show, but the, the fashion, fashion show. show. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to be very clear about yeah. that. The fashion show is coming back. Wow. Um, after 11 years, uh, hopefully late in 2023. She has a lot of plans. She had a lot of um, praise and gratitude for the staff that stuck around and uh-huh. are still there. Um, uh, they believe in the mission as she does. And she's looking to network out with other nonprofits and continue and even enhance what Wabi Sabi has done in that arena for the past.
several years. Wow. Okay. So she's now at the helm of Wabi Sabi. You know, does the nonprofit also have to build out other administrative positions? Because I know they did lose, you know, quite a few people. Yeah. She says that now staffing is is okay. It's adequate. Mm -hmm. Um, She was worried about whether they would be able to pull off Thanksgiving Mm. um, because, number one, there's a turkey shortage. (sighs) Wow. And um, number two, uh, it was a staffing issue, but that has apparently been remedied. Well, of course, the interview is in the TI this week, and there's more in this paper that you'd like to highlight election coverage. Yes, this week in our ongoing Election 22 coverage, we have a couple of really important candidates for an important position, and that would be Kurt Brewer and Jamison Wiggins from the Grand County Sheriff's Office, who are uh, both running for sheriff because uh, Steve White's stepping down after a 30-year career. We did this in a Q&A format. Felt like that was the fairest way yeah. to do it. So I asked each of them the same seven questions, and um, they gave me really thoughtful answers. I think this is a race that a lot of people are interested in because, like you said, this is the first time we're going to have a new sheriff in a, over a decade. Yeah, in 12 years. Yeah. And um, quite frankly, um, our biggest concern at the, at the um, newspaper, and I'm sure... Uh, you feel the same ways. We need a sheriff who's going to communicate, answer the uh-huh. phone. Answer um, the phone, yeah. That's That's been a real big mm-hmm. concern. And I, I took it personally that when Steve White just didn't have time to answer my calls when I first started here. Um, and then I found out he doesn't answer anybody's calls. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't blame him, man. 30 years, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you get burnt out. Doug McMurdo, editor at The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Local stakeholders are disagreeing about motorized use in the Labyrinth Canyon area. As Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News explains, the BLM is currently creating a travel management plan and considering closing some four-wheel drive routes in the area. There's a huge swath of BLM land um, kind of just outside of town and across from Arches, and it also um, kind of touches points of Dead Horse State Park, and it's called the Labyrinth Canyon Gemini Bridges area. And so the BLM is updating its travel management plan to this area. Um, So a few weeks ago, it opened the public comment for possible travel management uses, and the BLM created four alternatives to this area. So alternative A would take no action at all. Uh, It would basically just keep the area the exact same. It would close no motorized routes. Um, Alternative B would close a lot of OHV routes. Cliff Kuntz, who's the chair of the Grand County Motorized Trails Advisory Committee, said that he believed Alternative B would gut the quality of routes more than the quantity. But also the Rural Utah Project, which is really active in this area, very much supports Alternative B because Mm. it guts a lot of routes in general. And so it would be leaving a lot of this area just open Mm. land untouched. So then there's Alternative C, which proposes to close 168 miles of four-wheel drive trails, which would leave 839 unrestricted miles open Mm -hmm. um, and 121 open to limited OHV use. And then there's Alternative D, um, which proposes to close only 53 miles of trail. And so you really have a variety of alternatives here from leaving it blank and then like closing every trail versus closing 
um, the minimum of trails. There's been a lot of discussion about this. In the recent Blue Ribbon Coalition lawsuit, they named this travel management plan, and they've said the BLM is attempting to close this. And so a lot of people have been paying a lot of attention to this. And so at the Grand County Commission meeting on October 4th, the commission talked about which alternative they ultimately wanted to support, and they voted unanimously to approve the letter supporting alternative B. Although some commissioners did express reservations. Commissioner Evan Clapper said he didn't love option B, um, and he hoped the BLM would continue to modify the current alternative B to create more recreational alternatives and opportunities. And so the public comment period closes on October 7th. And so far, the BLM has received over 5,000 comments. Um, Evan Clapper was kind of saying he hopes this goes back to the BLM Mm. and then has another public comment period. Um, A lot of residents really support Alternative B, but again, a lot of OHV users really don't. And so at this point, it's just kind of seeing what the BLM will do. I talked to the new district manager Nicole Gaddis-Wyatt about it and she said that they're going to take all these comments and take about a month to assess them and then hopefully the plan whatever plan they decide will take some action around the spring. So it'll be a while. It'll yes, be a while. Yes, it will be a while. Um but yeah, this has definitely sparked a lot of debate in our community and it just echoes a lot of what has been going on in general, which is there are a lot of OHV users who come here and there's a lot of money to be had here for OHV tourism. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, a lot of residents would prefer that land remains untouched. The BLM gets a lot of like form letters, you Mm -hmm. know, and I do think the Grand County Commission carries a little bit of weight as a stakeholder. Yeah, although the BLM and the county did say that the commission is only one voice among many, mm-hmm. and ultimately this decision will be up to the BLM right. and not the county and not the city and not any of these stakeholders. The public comment period closes on October 7th at midnight, um, and then after that, we'll just have to see what happens. All right, moving on to another article in the Mobs and News this week. There's more news about the BLM, what's happening um, in our local region. So in August, Nicole Gaddis-Wyatt was selected as the Bureau of Land Management Canyon Country District Manager. She's worked for the BLM since 2010, and in 2018, she had her first position with the Canyon Country Office as an acting field manager. Um, In 2019, she joined the Canyon Country Office as a full-time position as the Moab field manager, and now she's been promoted. And so um, as district manager, she oversees three and a half million surface acres through the Moab field office and the Monticello field office. And I talked to her about the recreational side of the BLM because they do so much stuff. Mm. And I really wanted to talk to her about her goals and kind of her day to day. Yeah. Anything that you want to highlight from this article in the sun? So she said as district manager, she really acts as a guiding figure. Um, A lot of her guidance comes from all of these years that she's had of experience. And she said she really relies on her staff to do the decision making Mm -hmm. um but she's kind of like the very upper she described it as a grandma role (laughs) instead of like the mother role and so she's really an advisor and she said she really wants to focus on the BLM's customers and so I'd never heard the BLM described Mm. as customer service Mm. um but that's really how she sees it and she said her customers are the public and people who apply for permits and so she really wants to emphasize that the BLM is public service 
servants. And it takes a lot of effort to maintain like clean toilets and mark trailheads mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, and I also asked her really how she balances like the needs of the land versus what's best for recreation. And so she said, again, like back to the staff, she really relies on all of the specialists. And so for any event or any new trail or anything, the BLM has this huge process where all these different specialists go and they analyze the land and they see what's best for it. And then also they open up projects for public input, like mm-hmm. the Labyrinth Canyon. And so they really want to know, like, what are you using the land for? They're trying to balance user experience. Like, you don't want a UTV and a bicycle on the same road. Um, And so they try really hard to separate that out so that both can have an amazing experience, but so that they're not having internal conflicts. It's almost an impossible mission that the BLM has in many ways. Right. And it's so many acres of land. She just really said that they try to take every single thing into account and then try to find the best compromise between all of them. Where do you want to take us next? Let's go to the John Wesley Powell River History Museum in Green River. Um, Julia Buckwalter has her largest exhibit yet there. It features 17 paintings, and it explores this story of Powell and Powell's journey through the desert. And it starts with the painting Winter in Green River, which captures this really quiet bliss of a snowy riverbank. Um, and then it takes the viewer down the Green River through Arches and Canyonlands National Parks. And then it finally ends with three paintings that could be like snapshots taken from any visitor. Mm. And the three ending paintings kind of draw you back in because... Buckwalter's landscapes are really like it doesn't seem like they have a narrator Mm. and they're portraying this really ideal landscape but then the last three are scenes that we could see every day like one of them um, depicts a Galtha peak seen through a car window there's another that depicts a cow skull lying on slick rock Mm. and the exhibit ends with the drifter which depicts a bird flying through the clouds wow remind me what is her medium again she's a painter right she's a painter she paints these large-scale oil paintings Buckwalter and I talked about how her creating this exhibit and the way that her paintings have um, really grown as she's grown as an artist have reflected these ideas of conservation and so she said that she really wants the paintings to contribute to someone else's sense of connection. And she really was thinking of like, where do we go from here with the desert? So mm. we love this place. It's our home. But at the same time, it faces a lot of threats. Um, and so Buck Walter has really been questioning you know, like what can she do as an artist to portray these ideas of conservation and what it means to live in and to love the desert. Fantastic. And um, how long is the exhibit up for? Yeah, the exhibit is up until December. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. A quick note before we go, it's the first day of KZMU's Fall Radiothon, where our goal is $40,000 to support all of our amazing programs at the station, including KZMU News. This is usually where I say something about the newscast and all the stories we've been doing this year and why you should consider supporting it. But the other day, I got a voice message from none other than local Lisa Hathaway. She hosts Great Wide Open on KZMU once a month and is also an avid listener to KZMU News. 
She apparently prefers to listen to the daily episodes all at once, every week. Anyway, she left us this message about Radiothon. Hey, KZMU listeners from Moablandia and from afar. This is Lisa, your host of Great Wide Open, heard most second Mondays of every month. Pardon the heavy breathing and the lumbering footsteps, but I'm out here on a beautiful October day doing what we do on Great Wide Open, getting out in our beautiful backcountry and enjoying the land. I also wanted to give you all a heads up that it's Radiothon, so support your local radio station. Do you know that you can listen to KZMU News on a podcast stream wherever you get your podcast? I try to do it at least once a week these days, and my goodness, the things I learn and the new shows that we have. For example, have you heard Great Tape? It's one of the newest shows on KZMU, and it blew my mind this past week. I was so excited to hear it, and it just had me totally captivated the whole time. KZMU News has become not just my source for what's up locally, but it's become my source for the news regionally. They do such a great job. Be sure to hit that donate button, because without us, KZMU can't do all these great things. It needs us. It's Radiothon. So open up your hearts and open up your pocketbooks. And we'll see you out here in the great wide open. Thank you, Lisa. If you'd like to join her and donate to KZMU News during Radiothon, feel free to go to kzmu.org and click donate or check out the online shop. If you're around locally, you can stop by the station or see us at Red Rock Street Festival this Saturday. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.